following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. All of us know that one day we will face death. Many are not willing to talk about it, and most are not prepared to die. I have 
sat beside the bedsides of big tough guys and watched them whimper like babies as they faced their death. On the other hand, I have sat beside petite women as they faced death with great joy and exuberance and happiness, knowing that soon they would be with their Lord, for they had made preparation. This is a difficult topic because death causes us to understand that the wrath of God is real. The wrath of God is very real. Yes, he is described in 1 John as God is love. But God is also wrath, judgment. He will not always allow man to continue in full-blown rebellion against him. I've been carefully reading the book of Revelation and studying its hidden content. I'm a literalist. I take the simple meaning of the scripture as it's found in context. I believe every word that scripture speaks. I base my life on what the scripture has told me about Jesus and about the coming day of judgment. And I am using every ounce of my energy to prepare for that day of judgment. And I'm using every ounce of my energy to try to prepare you and others to be ready when the great judgment day comes. I'm Ray Greenley. This is Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you for joining us today. Today's message is going to be a very sober one, but a very joyous one. Because today is yet the day of salvation, and you have an opportunity to make a change in your life. Or you have an opportunity to make advancement today in the way of the cross, the way of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is not too late for you. You still have that day of opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. The judgment day is coming. And the wrath of God will be plainly seen to every person living on the earth, as well as the powers in the heavens, the demons, and Satan himself. In Revelation, the 20th chapter. The 20th chapter, I'll begin reading with verse 7. I recommend a careful reading of this entire chapter because it unlocks for us what our future holds, whether righteous or unrighteous. Chapter 9, chapter 20, verse 7. 
When the thousand years are over, that is, the thousand-year millennium where Satan has been locked up in the pit, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Each person, by the way, has a body. You will be conscious. You will be aware of everything that is happening about you and to you. And you will face every action that you have taken. And you will not be able to claim, I am covered by grace, therefore my sins do not count. The scriptures are plain. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a deception. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, we'll go to Romans, the sixth chapter, James, Galatians, and I will show you very plainly the truth as it is in Jesus. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and may I add, it is the final death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now if we go to Revelation, the 16th chapter, let me introduce it by just a brief word from chapter 15, verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And now chapter 16 begins to describe this end-time event where the wrath of God is poured out on the world. I believe many of you will be alive and will be in that great trouble that is coming upon the earth. 
the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. It turned into blood, like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they too became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent for what they had done. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him. Just a side note. When it speaks of clothing in Revelation, it's speaking about the righteous acts of the saints, or it's speaking about the filth of sin. They gathered the kings together in the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. I want you to notice this is a worldwide earthquake such as never before has happened in the earth. These are not figurative plagues. These are real. You have the seven seals. You have the seven trumpets. You have the thunders which are not allowed to be written down. And then you have the bulls of woe, the curses of God spoken against the ungodly, the unclean, the self-serving, the lost.
but they still will not turn. They will not repent. They are determined to continue in their way. James 1, verse 15. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And then Galatians 6. I'll begin with verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in good doing. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now let me be very frank with you. You cannot be saved in your sin. You must be saved from your sin. Adam produced sinners. We are naturally all sinners. But Christ came and shed his blood that we could be transformed by the power of righteousness in him that would create a holy people. Adam created sinners. Jesus creates righteous men and women. Now let's go to chapter 6 of the book of Romans. Chapter 6 of the book of Romans. We're going to begin today chapter 6 verse 13. He's just got finished saying that sin will not be your master. When you read carefully the sixth chapter of Romans, it is absolutely plain to anyone who is willing to listen with an open mind that all sin must be dealt with, that no sinner will enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, we opened this broadcast today speaking about death. Death is extremely unpleasant to even consider. But it's very plain in the sixth chapter of Romans that we are literally to die by crucifixion in Jesus Christ. And that out of that death, out of that unpleasantness, we can be resurrected in new life and walk in joy and victory in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Or, literally in the Greek, absolutely no. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, 
you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Let's stop a moment. I want you to consider this. You have choices that you must make. No, you cannot make yourself righteous. That is a that is a supernatural work of God that he is willing to do in us and for us. But it is literal. It is not a make-believe righteousness. It is a real righteousness. It is a transformation of a man or a woman into a new creature in Christ. But it requires that we be willing to die. What do I mean? It means we must be willing to turn from all self-interest and come to the Lord Jesus and confess honestly before him our utter unworthiness, our utter lostness. There can be no sympathy. Well, Jesus, if you really understood what I've been through, you would feel sorry for me, and you'd let me in just because I've had a hard time. Don't even begin to imagine that that is true. The hard time we've had has come. The sorrow that we have had has come because this is the devil's playground. It is his kingdom. And he brings persecution, he brings sorrow, he brings brokenness. God does not bring sorrow to the heart of a man it is satan who does this it is satan who brought death to adam and eve but it was their choice i've had to face the grim reality that i am responsible for my actions i cannot blame another I made choices. I made choices. And those choices result in an effect. There are consequences for my choices. And my choices caused me to be utterly bound and helpless as a slave of Satan. Genesis 3.15 offers the first promise of a Messiah that I could come to that Messiah and I could find relief. Keep your finger there in Romans, the sixth chapter. Go with me to the first chapter. Romans, the first chapter. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power or the dunamis, the dynamite of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, 
a righteousness, a dikasune, an innocence from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's not the pretend righteous. There is a transaction that we must engage in with God, and there must be a total change in our hearts and in our lives. And you will not make that change until you understand what the wrath of God is. The wrath of God. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. And in his kingdom, there will be no unrighteousness. And he's not going to suddenly change you when you die. I've said before, your last day on earth and your first day in heaven, you will have the same character. And if that character is marred and flawed by sin, by lust, by the desires of the flesh, by the worship of the way of the world, you will not be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. But you will appear at the great white throne judgment at the end of time, and you will receive the reward for what you have done against the kingdom of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says. I tell you, my brother, my sister, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus either. It is the most wonderful gospel, for it provides a way of escape from every despicable and hated thing in my soul. It offers a way for me to be washed and made clean. I can be a new person. I can live a new life. I no longer have to be bound by the chains of any sin in my heart. I can be set free. I can walk in the glorious truth of Jesus Christ and who he is and be a part of his family. I don't have to stay in this filth. I don't have to stay in the pig pen of the prodigal. I can go back to the Father. I can be scrubbed clean. I can wear the robe of righteousness. I can be my Father's son again. I can be a part of the family of God. But please, don't misunderstand. The wrath of God is real. The father did not go to the pig pen and pull his son out of that pig pen and scrub him up and force him with a whip to come back home. No, the scripture says he came to his senses. Have you come to your senses yet? Do you recognize what the terrible wrath of God is? What his righteousness is? What his awesome power is? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For, the, for everyone who, 
who believes, who who puts their absolute trust and confidence in Jesus, it means coming to Jesus and saying, I recognize that no good thing dwells in me, Lord. I have no righteousness of my own. I come as a sinner, broken, ugly. Some of you have never seen the ugliness of your own soul because as quickly as it began to be revealed to you, you you quickly did something to move away from it. You took some drugs. You, You got drunk. When you began to see the ugliness of your soul, you escaped to a movie or to the ball game. When you began to see the ugliness of your soul, you turned aside to something else. So your conscience could be salved. And we find this, let me read it for you in Psalm 35. An oracle is within my heart. This is Psalm 36, verse 1. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise. He has ceased to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course. He does not reject what is wrong. Many of you have flattered yourself too much to ever come to terms with the true evil of your inner heart. Evil does not flow into you from out of you. It flows from within out. Evil does not flow from the outward into the inward. It flows from the inward into the outward. It is intrinsic to your very nature. There is nothing good that dwells in you. There is no spark of God in you that makes you somehow good. There is only the gentle, wooing call of the Lord Jesus that says, come out and be clean. Come out and I'll worship you. I'll wash you and you will worship me. He continues, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. But then in verse 18, he turns again to wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. How do you suppress the truth? By going about your day pretending that you are just fine, indulging your sinful nature, talking in ways that are wicked, walking in ways that are not fair or just before God, refusing to recognize the sin of your heart, admiring yourself too much to even admit your condition before a holy God. And he says, 
for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made, so that men are without excuse. For although they know God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. There is a process of darkening that happens as we continue to live out our own course in history with our own lies, with our own lust, with our own cheating, selfish hearts. And you may say, oh, pastor, I'm a good person. As one woman said to me this last week, I said to her, do you know Jesus Christ? She said, no, I'm spiritual. I don't need a Christ. This woman has absolutely no understanding of who she is. She has been lied to, and she has lied to herself. And she had no interest in knowing. She didn't want to talk any further. She changed the topic she started speaking about her husband and the work that he was doing. It was plain she did not want to address the question of her own sinful heart. She didn't need a Christ. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. I just hear today there are some of you listening to this broadcast who are sick and tired of your sinful lifestyle. You're sick of the sexual impurity. You're sick of the degrading of your body. You're sick of the drugs and the alcohol. You're sick of the selfishness. You're sick of pretending you're somebody when you know in your inner being you are nobody and you are hell-bound. I have good news for you. There is a way of escape. There is a way of escape. If you're willing to be honest with God and take responsibility for what you've done and get down on your face before His mighty throne, and say to him, This is who I am. I am utterly wicked before you. This is what I have done. Will you forgive me? Change me. Will you make me a new person, Jesus? Will you remove this sin from my heart? And you stay there before God, waiting upon him and crying out to him, he will come and do this work in your heart. He will come and change you. He will come and heal you. To live in the in-between shadow land, however, is the worst possible place. To be an outright sinner, walking in every kind of wickedness, deeply involved in Hinduism, Buddhism, 
Islamic faith, to be deeply involved in these things, to walk in wickedness, arrogance before God, is a much better place than to pretend that you are a Christian and continue to walk in your sin because there is almost no hope for you because you will not be honest with God about who you really are. And so the wrath of God comes upon you. And over a period of time, you become calcified. You become lukewarm, self-satisfied, hopeless, and needing more and more of the world and its entertainment to keep your mind from the true condition of your heart. But you too will face the day you die. And if you face the day you die with a false comfort, believing you are saved even as you walk in your sin, what an absolutely horrid, wretched, blind, and naked place to enter into eternity and be cast into hell. Hell is going to be populated with many who call themselves Christians, but they're people who were never willing to be crucified with Christ. Are you one of those? Have you made that decision? Have you been crucified with Christ? Have you humbled your heart before God? Or are you full of gossip and slander and fun and games? Let me read more. Verse 17, Romans 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. I am entrusting to you a form of teaching. If you will follow this teaching, the slavery to sin will be utterly broken in your heart and in your life, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you and set you free, and you can live in the glorious joy of serving Jesus. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You're either going to be a slave to the devil or a slave to Jesus Christ. You are going to serve one or the other, and the word is doulos, meaning I have no rights. I've given up all of my rights. You see, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm sorry, at the Garden of of Eden, tried to take a third route. Satan told them he didn't require them to serve him, and he didn't, and, and God did require, but they had another route they could follow, and that was they could serve themselves. And of course Satan was lying to them. Serving themselves was serving Satan as their master. Freedom is only going to be found in Jesus Christ. 
to be set free from sin. What is sin? Sin is that absolute rebellion against a holy and righteous God saying, I will make my own choices. I will make my own decisions. I am the boss of my life. Oh, when you come to death, can you stop it? No, you can't. You can make it come sooner by committing suicide, but you are going to die. Either you're going to die and go to hell, or you're going to die in Christ Jesus and be crucified with him and be resurrected with him and walk in newness of life. And then when your body dies, you transition into eternity, into Jesus Christ, into heaven. Let me read this for you. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. In other words, when you make choices day by day to follow the way of Jesus Christ, you walk in righteous innocence before him, and that path leads you into holiness. And without holiness, no one can see the Lord. So he says, offer yourselves in slavery to righteousness or innocence, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin, and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You notice it is not eternal life to live as I choose. It is eternal life in, that is a locative word, it is a positional word, it is to be in Jesus, to be located in Jesus. So, the wages of sin are death. They always have been. Since the day Adam and Eve Eve turned aside from the Lord God of heaven, denied him and took the way of darkness. On that day they died, not physically, spiritually. Their connection with heaven was cut, and they were given over to the powers of darkness. And the day came when they turned back into dust. And all of us face this reality of death. It is because the wages of sin are death. But then Jesus came. He said, I have a way out of this. I will make a way out. 
and I will lay my life down as a bridge between death and life. And if you will walk this walk of life, I will meet you. But it means turning aside from all self-interest. It means giving away, giving up, removing everything of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It means I'm no longer going to participate in the things of darkness. I'm not going to participate in the wickedness of the movies or the sports or anything else that has to do with this world and its system. I'm not going to go the way the people of the world go. I have a new life in Jesus Christ. My interest is going to be pursuing the scriptures, praying, singing psalms of praise and worship before his throne. It's going to be reading the scriptures to understand who he is and where I'm going and how I should live. The scriptures are a a mirror that lift up before me so that I can see the true character as the Lord God of heaven has transformed me and changed me into his likeness. I'm not going to make God leisure time activity. Oh, I I can have time to go to church this Sunday because we're not going to go to that picnic. It's raining. What? We're not going to go to the to the mountains this weekend because the weather's not right. Let's go to church instead. No, church is not something you do when nothing else works. It's the people of God. It's where we're made into his his image. It's the people of God. It's It's the army that we're a part of to do battle with the powers of darkness to win men and women for the kingdom of light. The time is short. It it requires a full court press. It requires everything I have and will be to engage in this wonderful work of salvation for other men and women. Some of you are so controlled by your work that you have no time for Jesus. I feel so sorry for you because the day will come when you'll want Jesus' attention and he'll say, I have no time for you. The day is coming when he's going to say, let the righteous be righteous and let the filthy be filthy still. And it's over. There's no chance to change. You are who you are. Day by day, you make choices about how you will use your time, how you will spend your energy, what your goals are, what you are pursuing. Are you pursuing the things of this world? Are you pursuing our Lord and Savior, Jesus? Is there a soberness in your soul today? At the same time, is there a rejoicing in your soul today because you know Jesus and have made that ultimate commitment to walk in his power 
in his blood to be redeemed, to walk with the redeemed. Let's pray. Almighty God, I fear your wrath, for the day of judgment is fast coming upon us. And even if we do not live until that day of judgment, we will still be resurrected and brought before that tribunal, before that throne, and we will face your wrath, your judgment, or we will have given ourselves to you utterly, wholly, and completely. We will have been transformed by your glorious power, by your love and we will be welcomed into the courts above. Lord, I pray today for every person who has listened to this broadcast. I pray that you will deal with each person's heart exactly where they are, uncovering the true nature of their heart, either in fullness of darkness or having been transformed by your glory and no longer walking in any rebellion or sin against you. Lord, would you come? Would you speak to the hearts of your people today? Lord, I thank you today for this time to speak with my precious brothers and sisters and to those who are yet walking in darkness. Lord, I pray that you will be very close to everyone who has listened, that you will rebuke and encourage, that you will transform and comfort. Lord, I think of our dear brother Alex, who is suffering physically. I think of of Tom, of Leslie, and so many others, Lord, that I lift up before your throne and ask that you would order their steps, that you would pour out your healing power. Lord, this dear pastor who who ministers in Washington, D.C., who has a retreat center in Maryland, Lord, she has given herself to help those that no one else would help. Lord, would you be her comfort today, giving her clear direction. And Lord, there are other pastors who are listening, and I ask, Lord, that you would show them the truth and remove all pride from their hearts and cause them to humble themselves and search after you in the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have your way today in the pastors who listen. Almighty God, I tremble before your throne, both for your glorious majesty, your wrath and justice, and your compassion and love kindness and mercy. Come, Almighty Lord, King of all the earth, come. I pray in your name. Amen. 
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We're going to continue our study, moving into chapter 7 and then into chapter 8 as the days go ahead. I pray it's been helpful to you. I'd love to hear from you. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also respond on the YouTube where the video is. Thank you for those of you who have been writing encouraging messages. You can also go on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you can give on PayPal. You can also listen to the many messages that are there. I pray they're helpful to you. Write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you'd like to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel, you're welcome to come. But first, call me for directions, 703-489-1785. That number again, 703-489-1785. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I pray that you're encouraged today in the Spirit. I'll talk to you soon. Great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. With Jesus Christ alone.